The following audio is from Missio Day Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Missio Day or to partner with us on mission, visit mdcavl.org. Thank you, Brian. Good morning, church. As Brian said, my name is Mark. I'm uh, one of the elders here. I um, invite you to turn in your Bible if you have one. If not, there's one in the, uh, the pew in front of you or the seat in front of you. We don't have pews. We will have pews. <laughs> Think about that. Um, yes, there will be pews. Uh, Philippians chapter 3. We're in the book of Philippians uh, as, we, as we dive into it today. Um, before we do, uh, how many of you remember the movie City Slickers? Billy Crystal, yeah. Okay, so there's a, there's a, a, a part in City Slickers that will be instructive to us. So Billy Crystal plays a guy named Mitch who is at a little bit of a midlife crisis. He's kind of lost his smile. He's lost his joy. And since we're, we're talking about Philippians being joy reclaimed, this is, this is especially appropriate. He's just kind of lost his way, and uh, at one point, he's riding um, alongside Curly, the the gnarled old cowboy who is leading them on this cattle run, uh, because that's what you do when you have a midlife crisis. You go on a cattle run, you know. So... um, Anyway, they're riding along and they're talking about life and love and things like that. And, and finally, Curly says, do you want to know the secret of life? And Mitch says, well, yeah, of course. And, and so Curly holds up one finger. He says this. And uh, Mitch says, your finger? And uh, <laughs> no, it's one thing. And he says, you stick to that and everything else don't mean nothing. And Mitch says, well, what is the one thing? And Curly said, that's what you got to find out. So today we're going to talk about the one thing as as we pursue the life that Christ has in front of us, that God has for us. It's really about one thing. So uh, let's take a look at the passage. Uh, We're going to start at verse 12 and and go to the end of chapter 3. Now this is really a continuation of the the passage from last week. Um, Sometimes when we divide things up, it kind of breaks it up in ways that that it shouldn't. So I uh, I hope that you've kept up with some reading and things like that. Let's start in verse 12. I'll read the passage, then we'll uh, pray and, and dive in. Verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you, also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. 
Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for this time that we have in your word. I pray, Lord, that it would be fruitful. I, I pray, Lord, that your word, not my words so much, but your words would go deep and take root downward that they may bear fruit upward. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right, if you're a note taker, um, we're, we're going to talk about the one thing today. So the first point that we have here is describing the one thing. And we see this in verses uh, 12 to 16. So let's just kind of dive into that. We begin in verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained this. What's this? Well, we need to go back. We need to go back into last week. And you remember, Paul in that recounted how if he was going to go after self-righteousness, that he had a resume that would beat anybody's. So he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was circumcised on the eighth day, all these different things. And then, in addition to that, not only his pedigree, but his, his behavior was such that he was, he was blameless according to the law. He persecuted the church according to his zeal and his passion. He was, he was all of that. And yet, he counted all things as loss so that he would gain Christ. And in verse 10, if you just look back up a couple verses, he says the whole point was that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now he says, not that I've obtained this. Not that he's attained this complete knowledge of Christ, the knowledge of the power of the resurrection, that he has attained the resurrection from the dead. He, he knows that he's not obtained all that. He also says, or I'm already perfect. That's what, that's what he anticipates. That's what we anticipate when we, when we finally are resurrected and given glorious new bodies, that we will be perfect, not be saddled with this constant weight of, of sin that we have before us. So he begins here with a, a recognition that he's not arrived but then there's, there's a, an urgent mo, uh, motivation to pursue. Uh, end of verse 12, he says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Now that's an interesting, um, interesting way to say it. And, and perhaps even more literally, um, 
instead of make it my own, it's, it's more I press on to take hold of. Like he wants to take hold of something. And this is a very strong word. It's not just to, you know, like take a napkin off of a napkin holder. It's to, it's to grasp, it's to seize, it's to, it's to go after. Very strong word there. But he says kind of literally, I want to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Kind of an interesting thing there. And he's basing it on the fact that his taking hold, his action of pursuing is because Christ has first pursued him. So this comes through in the, in the scriptures uh, a number of times. There's no room for independence or, or, or thinking that, that we do anything that God has not first initiated. So John writes, we love because he first loved us. Paul says earlier in Philippians, we work. We work out our own salvation because it is God who is at work in us both to will and to do. So we work because he has worked. And now here he's saying, we can make knowing Christ our own because he's made us his own. And so it begins with what God has done for us. We recount that each week in, in what we call the gospel, the good news. The fact that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. He died a substitutionary death. And he was validated by, by being raised from the dead. And by, by us putting our trust and our faith in Christ, in that finished work of Christ, as, as, as Natalie just mentioned, by putting our trust and our hope in that alone... We are then redeemed. We are then made Christ's own. And so as we go about and we try to, to seize what God calls us to, to lay hold of it, we do so with the recognition that he has first laid hold of us. Uh, never forget that. Now, he, he goes into identifying the one thing. So verse 13 he repeats, uh, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. All right, so he's, he's admitting that again. I haven't made it all the way. But he says, but one thing I do. Now, literally, the words I do are not there. He's literally saying, but one thing. So he's curly with the, with the, the finger up. But one thing. He says, forgetting what I... What lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. And here it is, the one thing. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. His one thing is pressing on toward the goal. Um, in, in fact, this is one of, one of those typical sentences that Paul writes where he just piles phrases upon phrases, uh, you know, thinking back to your ninth grade uh, grammar class, you know, these are just a bunch of prepositional phrases. Uh, look at it again. I press on 
toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Okay? A lot to say there. And he says, that's the one thing, is I'm pressing toward that goal relative to the the high calling that I have in Christ Jesus. Now, we'll talk more about that here in just a minute. But I want to go back in in, uh, verse 13 and just touch on these these two, uh, two phrases that illustrate how he's going to press on. He's going to forget what lies behind, and he's going to strain toward what is ahead. Forgetting what's behind, straining toward what is ahead. Now you think about Paul's story and what he said in the last passage about his life of of absolute rigid, uh, rigid righteousness and adherence to the law and how he felt himself self-righteous and to the point of persecuting the church. And I'm sure Paul could look back on that, murdering and, and imprisoning Christians and be really tempted to have his past define who he is. Like, how can I possibly be an apostle? I persecuted the church. Uh, He even says that at at one point. He considers himself the least of the apostles because because he persecuted the church. Instead... In focusing on the one thing, what he's going to do is, is forget what lies behind. Now, how do we do that? How do we, how do I forget all those mistakes, all those regrets? How do I forget the shame of my choices before I came to Christ? How, or even some of the ones since I came to Christ, okay? Um, the pain that I've caused myself and others, how can I possibly forget that? The things that have happened to me where I feel like a victim. You telling me I can't, I have to forget that? Well, it, it's tough, especially with highly emotional things that happen to us. It's, it's difficult, if not impossible, to, to just forget it, like, wait, what? I don't know that happened. I, no, that's not what we mean. Forgetting and remembering in the Bible is always like an active kind of thing. And so the better way to think about forgetting all that has come behind is to think of it more in terms of don't remember it. Don't bring it up. Don't talk about it. That includes don't talk about it with yourself. Now, how are you going to do that? Well, you can't just do it. I mean, if I told you right now, all right, don't anybody think of pink elephants? What are you thinking about right now? Pink elephants. If you say to yourself, don't think of, don't think of your past. Don't think of that sin. Don't think of that regret. Don't think of that shame. That's all that's going to be in your mind. So what we have to do is replace those accusing thoughts, those, cause, those thoughts of shame, those thoughts of guilt. We need to replace those with thoughts of grace and thoughts of 
forgiveness and thoughts of the gospel. That what Jesus Christ did for us secured our forgiveness, secured for us our acceptance before God, and he is in the process of redeeming even those, those bad experiences that we've had. Now, straining toward what is ahead. This is a, this is a very strong word. It, it, it's a word that, that evokes memories of a, of a runner in a race. And they're, they're, they're straining forward. They're leaning forward, leaning in and trying to hit that finish line before anyone else. That's kind of the idea. You're running a race and you want to strain to make it as quickly as you can because you want to win the race. You run the race so that you can, you can win. And, and with thoughts of what lies ahead, then we don't have the, the mental room to be thinking about regrets. Sometimes we even feel like we're, we are identified with our past. It's, it's very hard to shake that. Paul could have thought to himself, I, I'm a murderer. I'm a murderer of Christ's church. And yet God graciously made him what he is, an apostle of, of God. Through the grace, he says, I am what I am. It's talk like that that helps us in, to focus on what's ahead and not bring to remembrance those things that are behind. Now, the goal, he says, uh, verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call. What are we talking about on, on this upward call? Well, I invite you to turn uh, back to Romans chapter 8. And we'll just touch on this very briefly here. Um, what is this upward call that we're talking about? What has God called us to? And, and we could find many, many passages of Scripture that allude to this, but I, I wanted to get on this one. Uh, Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 29 and 30. It says here, For those whom he foreknew, who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now what we have here is pretty much the entire scope of God's salvation process in bringing a person to Jesus Christ and into glory. From eternity past to eternity future, the whole thing is right here. It begins with God uh, foreknowing us. And I think what that means, if you, if you really dig into it, is that he, he set his heart on us. He didn't just like, oh, I know him, you know, or I know her. It's, he's setting his heart. He's setting his love on us and predestining, predestining us to what? Um, it, to, um, 
He predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, this, is, this has a moral aspect. Like one of the ways that we say that the Christian life is that we are becoming more and more like Jesus. Okay? But there's something deeper to this because he says, okay, you're predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he, Jesus, will be the firstborn among many brothers. Now here we see an illusion, and if you were to read all of Romans 8, I think you would see this clearly. There are many references to the fact that when we are in Christ, we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. In other words, we have an inheritance with God. We have been adopted into his family. And that's what he has predestined us to. That in the end, we will be co-heirs with Jesus Christ of all the familial blessings of what it means to be a child of God. And that's the high calling that we are called to. So when, when, the, when the process goes on, those whom he predestines, predestined, he also called. Now we're into the, the sphere of time. At some point in time, God called you and said, come through his spirit. And you came and you were made alive and you believed in Christ. And then those whom he called, he justified, he forgave, he, he gave you a right standing before God. And then those whom he justified, he also glorified. Did you notice that even the glorified Anybody here glorified right now? No. But it's in the past tense. It's a done deal. That's the high calling that Paul in Philippians is telling us, I press toward that. I press toward the very thing that God has captured me for. God has laid hold of me for that future glorified state, future as far as I'm concerned, and now I'm going to press on toward it. And I'm going to focus my, my attention on that. Now in verse 15, he says, mature Christians think this way. All right, verse uh, back in, back in uh, Philippians. Um, he said, let those of us who are mature think this way. Now, that's real interesting because the word mature is the same word as perfect. So he's like, I'm not perfect, but if I'm mature, I think this way. I think in terms of pursuing a single-minded pursuit of the one thing, the pressing toward that prize and, and moving forward. So it's kind of, a, kind of an ironic thing that one of the marks of maturity is knowing that you're not perfect. So we keep focusing it. And if you want to forget the past, let me give you two things. And if you, if you get nothing else today, get, get these two things. If you want to forget the past and turn and, and strain toward the future, then we focus on these two things. We focus on 
our present comfort in the gospel. The present comfort that the gospel has for us. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's Romans 8.1. Tell yourself that again and again. You, those thoughts of shame and, and so on come in. There's no condemnation. But then the second thing is the future hope that we have in the gospel. Where Paul later in Romans 8 says, If God didn't spare his son but gave him up for us all, if he gave him up to the substitutionary death on the cross for our sins so that we might be the righteousness of God through his perfect life. If God didn't spare his son, won't he give us everything else? And, and Paul's question is like, yes, that's, he won't spare his, he won't spare us everything else. That's our future hope. So, we look, we look back, all those shameful things and so on, and we say, they're covered. There's no condemnation. Paul, who murdered Christians, could say there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Praise God. But then looking forward, he's going to fulfill it. He's going to finish it. And my calling is to pursue it. Again, a little bit of mystery there. He's already laid his hand on me. He's taken hold of me. But now the one thing we do is strive to take hold of it. Now we'll see what that looks like as we, as we move along. So I do want to ask, um, and, and I know this first point's a little bit longer, but... Are you finding it difficult to forget those things in the past? Now, there is a sense in which there's a sense in which we remember what happens to us. It, it's not like we have this mindless forgetfulness or, or whatever, but it's just that those things no longer dominate our thoughts. They no longer um, overcome thoughts because, because we hang on the gospel truths, the present reality and the future hope that we have. Okay, uh, point number two, uh, distracting from the one thing. Distracting from the one thing. Let's go to verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. First thing he's saying here is, follow some good examples. Look to people like Timothy and Epaphroditus that we've talked about. Look to my example, Paul says, and, and so on. These are good examples for us. And the reason for this is, verse 18, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. You can sense Paul's anguish here. He's like, I've told you before. I'm telling you now with tears. There are people who have most likely been part of their fellowship, but now have stepped away and are now enemies of the cross of Christ. In 21st century terms, they've deconstructed. 
And Paul is like, it's in tears that I, that I talk about this. I've told you this before. And he's saying, I don't want this to happen to you. I want you to follow the good examples that, that we have before you. Now, he gives four descriptors here in verse uh, 19 of these enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. These are distractors to our pursuit of the, of the one thing. Why did these people leave the faith? Or why did they never come to faith? It's because they were distracted. Their God is their belly, their appetites, their, just their base desires. And they went that way instead of toward the one thing. Their glory is in shameful things. They take, they take pride and glory in the things that ought to bring them shame. They have their minds set on earthly things. And, and I'm afraid that, that there are many in our day and age who once sat in these seats, sat in seats of churches all across our country, who've just said, you know what? I've had enough of this. And they can talk about all the time about whether it's an intellectual issue or something like that. And in reality, no, it's they love sin. They love their darkness rather than light. And so Paul with tears is urging these people to, to keep their eyes on the prize and to keep, uh, to keep focused on the one thing and not be distracted by things. Now, he mentions his example Follow my example. Well, let's look, at, let's look at his example. If you would turn back to uh, maybe a page or so to Philippians 1. And one of the key passages that we see, we find in verses uh, 20 to 24. And I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to point out a couple of things. So, for the enemies of Christ, their end is destruction. Right? That's what he says in chapter 3. What's Paul's end? Verse 21. For me, to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. Paul says, look at my example. My end is gain. Their God is their belly. Their desires are wrapped up in their appetites and, and base desires. And for him, he says... Uh, his desire, verse 23, says, I'm hard-pressed between the two, living or dying. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So Paul's desire is either to go and be with Jesus or to, um, to stick around and have faithful ministry in the church of Jesus Christ. That's his desire. Not pleasures and, and so on. Their glory is in shameful things. Paul says in verse, uh, 20, verse 20, 
as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body. Paul's glory is not in shameful things. His glory is to see Christ honored through his body. And then finally, they set their minds on earthly things. His mind is on Christ. We read it earlier, verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ. That's, that's his mentality. That's his mind. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Christ. So it's calling us to two ways to live here. And the fact that these are called enemies of the cross of Christ really signifies that, that there's a stark difference and there's a delineation between a believer who follows and pursues after the one thing, the goal, the prize that needs to be treasured and, and sought after, or just living for myself and living with an earthly mindset. Now, back to uh, chapter 3. And our third point here is directing attention on the one thing. How do we focus on it? What, you know, what do we do to keep that, that focus on the one thing? Well, he says here in verse uh, 19, uh, I'm sorry, 20. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Now that's right on the heels of saying their minds are set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we turn our attention to the one thing? We have to realize where our home is. Our citizenship is in heaven. Early in Philippians, uh, in chapter 1, at one point he says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. And that word man for manner of life is, the, is a similar root to the word citizenship. And so when Paul says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, he's saying, Live like a citizen of heaven. Now, what would our life be like if we see ourselves as a citizen of heaven rather than a citizen of this earth? If I truly understand that the only thing that will transform me is Christ my Savior. My job's not going to transform me. My Marriage won't transform me. My relationships won't transform me. My possessions won't transform me. Anything that I might hang my identity on won't transform me. Jesus Christ will come and transform me. So what, would, what kind of difference would that make if I set my mind on heaven rather than on earth? Now, we probably don't most of us probably just think of earthly things all the time. Life is just consumed with that. But at some point, we need to, to realize, you know, at the deepest level, I'm a citizen of heaven. 
Uh, Chip Ingram once put it this way. He said, living on this earth is like staying in a hotel. And we all like to stay in a, in a nice hotel. But it's not home. It's not home. So we live in this life, in this body that's broken and, and, and breaking down all the time. And if, if we just stay on this earthly plane, then, then we're not going to... Um, we're not going to do very well. But if we turn our thoughts to the fact that our citizenship is in heaven, it doesn't mean we let earth go to hell, but um, that's where our, uh, that's, that's home. That's our home. That's our finish line. As we think about running the race, it's the goal, it's the prize, it's the high calling. The prize is something to be... Um, treasured. It's to be valued, pursued. It's to be seized upon. I need to be, be exerting all effort in that direction. And as we come together and we speak with one another in our small groups, and as one of us gets discouraged, we need to be recounting that to one another. We need to be recalling these truths and, and saying, okay, we have a present reality. There's no condemnation. We have a future hope. Of, of glorification through Jesus Christ. Hang in there. And the finish line, we are told the finish line, not just so when we get there, we go, oh yeah, the finish line, I finished. No, it's to fuel the race right now. I mean, can you imagine running a race that didn't have a finish? I'm just running. Well, how many of us do that? Instead, we, we, we realize that everything we do needs to be finish line oriented. It needs to be toward that one thing that we focus on, on the prize. Now, one last thing here in this passage. Uh, verse 21 says, uh, Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is amazing. That the power Jesus will use to transform us is the same power that will put all things under his feet. And that's that's the, the view of, of the end of all things, is that, that all things will be subjected to Jesus Christ and under his rule and reign. As we've talked about, uh, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. This is all part of, of the, the grand plan. And the power that's going to make that happen is going to make your transformation complete. Isn't that great news? You think God has enough power? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you think that can fuel your joy? Do you think that can make you joyous in the midst of all kinds of trials, tribulations, memories, everything that's going on in your life? Do you think that view that I, you know, I look at the future, at what God has in store, that that wouldn't fuel a joy in you that cannot be shaken? That's... That's what this whole thing is about, reclaiming that joy in hope. 
we have this hope, not like, well, I hope the Browns win tomorrow, which they won't, but, <laughs> um, but I hope, no, I have a hope in Jesus Christ. I have a hope, and that's the one thing that he calls us to pursue with all of our might, and it's because he first pursued us. Amen? Amen. All right, I'm going to put a couple questions up on the, uh, the screen for you that you can think about, um, talk about with, uh, with one another, uh, use in your, in your quiet time. You can write them down or take a picture. Uh, number one, where am I finding it hard to forget the past and press forward? What memories, what, what things are there that you, you look at and you go, forgetting what is behind, forget it. I, that's so big. And as I said, you need to remind yourself of the present comfort we have in the gospel and the future hope that we have in the gospel. Present comfort, future hope. All right, number two, uh, what draws me away from the singular pursuit of the high calling? Is it your, your pleasures, your desires? Is it the pursuit of things that are shameful? Is it fixing your mind on earthly things, uh, pursuing career or riches or identity or anything like that? Um, and all those things are important, but they have a place. Finally, number three. How can knowing that Jesus secures for me a future transformation, how can knowing that give me lasting joy right now? Let the certainty of the finish line fuel that joy. Let it, let it give you a, a foundation and a deep well of of truth from which you can draw and say, you know what? I know I lost my job, but I have a joy in Jesus Christ that cannot be shaken. I know that my relationships are falling apart, but I have something in Jesus Christ that will not be moved. That will help fuel that joy that, um, and peace that Jesus said surpasses all understanding. As we go to our time of, of response, we're going to go now to the, the Lord's table. This is open for, for any who are believers in Jesus Christ, who have placed their trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And as you come today and take, take of the bread and take of the cup, um, I, I would just encourage you to do so by faith. Okay, not that not that this has any merit, the fact that you take the bread and the cup, but as you come believing, remind yourself that this is what has saved you. And yes, I, I still believe, I still trust in the body of Christ broken for me, the blood of Christ spilled for me. Um, so partake by faith. Um, if you're new here uh, and you would like to be known, there's a connect card in the seat in front of you. Um, you can fill that out um, as much as you would like to be known. Uh, you know, we'd like to get to know who you are. 
Uh, there are also places that you can write down to, um, if you have anyone as a prayer request, uh, and our, our staff and team will um, pray over those things. Um, also, offering pl- uh, boxes are in the back if you'd like to give that way um, as you come. And then uh, the band will come and uh, lead us in a time of celebration of this, this gospel, this great news. So I'm going to pray, and then uh, we'll have a, a minute or so of silence. And then when I get up to, to move to the table, that'll be the signal that the, the Lord's table is now open. So let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for this, this day that you have given us. Thank you for this example that we have in, in the Apostle Paul, our brother. And, and uh, Lord, I thank you what a great redemption story he represents and what great redemption stories are, are found in this room. I pray, Lord, that uh, you will even now bring to faith some who are not who are not yet there. I pray that they would see the glory of Jesus Christ this day. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.